Yes, good morning, City Light. How are you guys? Like Gav said, my name is Doug, and uh, you all sent uh, me and my family and a bunch of others across the river about two and a half years ago to plant City Light Church in Council Bluffs, Iowa. So I just want to tell you, God has been very, very generous, incredibly faithful to us. Uh, on any given Sunday, there's maybe 500 or so people worshiping Jesus together. Uh, in our church, we have over 20 city groups that are scattered all around the city and actually the region. We've celebrated over 60 people who have given their life to Jesus and gone public through baptism. Uh, so just lots of the grace of God. Maybe something where, yeah, we're especially excited. Uh, we've got to plant two churches ourselves. Uh, just like you guys have planted a lot, uh, we've got to plant two of them. One of them went out recently to Kansas City and uh, with a heart to reach the metro area there of 2.1 million people. And then another team went out and raised up from southwest Iowa. It's actually located in a town of 450 people. So we sent them to the millions and we sent them to the hundreds. Yolanda is on that planting team in Southwest Iowa. So it's been awesome. We believe every single one of those people matter, whether it's 450 or 2.1 million and get the city light. Guess what? Those are your grandkid churches. Those are your grandkids. So thanks for your generosity in sending us uh, and in empowering us to send. It's been a blast. Now, I also felt like since it's been over two and a half years since I was here, I got to share a family photo with you guys, okay? So here we are. This was just a few days ago at the closest thing that Nebraska comes to a theme park. We were at Vala's taking in the fun. Uh, that little man in my arms, his name is Josiah. He was born since we were last here. He's over two years old now. And the rest of us, well, we've just gotten older. That's pretty much. And my wife has only gotten more beautiful, praise the Lord. So uh, very awesome. That's us. So can we just start with some good news that maybe all of us in this room are celebrating right now? Nebraska won yesterday. <laughs> They won. That is good news, right? Like in City Light Church in Omaha, there's two ways to get a clap. You talk about Jesus or you talk about the Huskers winning. That's like, it's a surefire guarantee. Anyways, we love good news around here. And we believe that the best good news is the gospel. And by gospel, I mean the good news that God loves and saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Not by our efforts, not by our best attempts, but God loves us and he saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Around here, we love that good news. We preach that good news. We sing that good news. We talk about that good news in city groups. We share that good news with our friends and family, our neighbors and coworkers. We love the good news. But we have to be honest, right? The good news is good because of first, there's bad news. In fact, the bad news actually makes the good news gooder or better. Remember, I was in Iowa for two years, okay? So it makes the good news better. Like, for example, if I were to say, hey guys, guess what? There's a new company. It's coming to Omaha and it's bringing with it a couple thousand jobs. I think all of us would go, oh yeah, that's good news. But if you're in the situation where you've been unemployed for a while and you've been looking for a job, you can't find the gainful employment that matches you. Whenever you hear that good news, you probably say, oh, 
that's really good news. Your bad news situation makes the good news announcement all that much better. And so around here, we love the good news that God saves sinners through the life, death, and resurrection. But we have to be honest about the bad news. And the bad news is that we're the sinners. We are the sinners in that announcement, in that declaration. We are sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. We are sinners by habit. And we have to be honest about the bad news. In fact, I don't think we can fully embrace the good news until we're actually honest about the bad news. And I know I'm a guest coming in, but this morning we're going to look at the bad news. We're going to look at the bad news a lot. And what we're going to see is that the bad news is sin. And we're going to look at the anatomy of sin, how it works, where it comes from, what it does to us. We're going to see it in the story of David and Bathsheba. So if you have your Bibles, go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, the story of David and Bathsheba. Now, at the time of this story, David is king. He's actually made it to being king. And it seems like things have been going great in David's life. Ever since he was interrupted from shearing sheep, it seems like, man, this is a godly guy. He loves people. He wants to serve people. He didn't like rush into uh, being king. He waited on God's timing. Everything about David in his heart just seems like, wow, what a pure, incredible man. And then all of a sudden, Bathsheba happens. It's like, where did that come from? And so as we look at this classic and true story of David and Bathsheba, we're going to get an honest picture of the bad news of sin. Three things about sin that are true, not just for David, but they're true in our lives as well. And the first thing that we see about sin is this. Sin has roots and fruit. Sin has roots that go down into our heart and it comes out, it becomes visible in the fruit of our lives, our choices, our actions, our uh, decisions, our words and our attitudes. So let me show it to you. Go to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We'll read the first couple verses. It says, in the spring of the year, the time when who goes out to battle church? Kings. And David was a king. All right. So David sent Joab. And his servants with him in all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Heads up. You know, something's off here, right? Verse 2. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. So the stage is set. And from here, the story only gets worse. David doesn't only see that woman. He wants that woman and he makes sure that he gets that woman. And at first blush, it seems like, oh, this is shocking. David, David's falling from grace. Where did this come from? I could have never seen this coming. But track with me back a little bit in the story of David and let me show you, sin does have roots that come out in the fruit of our lives. In 1 Samuel chapter 18, David takes a wife. Her name is Michal. She's the daughter of Saul. So that is wife number one. Then in 1 Samuel chapter 25, David meets this woman named Abigail. Abigail has a loser of a husband. He's a jerk to her. And so after that husband dies, David takes Abigail as his wife number two. 
Then you get to 2 Samuel chapter 3, verse 2, and we find this bomb of a verse, all right? Here's what it says. And sons were born to David at Hebron. His firstborn was Amnon of Ahinoam of Jezreel. I mean, who's that baby mama, right? Where did she come from? His second, Chilean of Abigail, the widow of Nabal. Okay, we know her. She was the second wife. You keep going. And the third, Absalom, the son of Maka, the daughter of Talmai, king of Geshur, who's Maka, right? You could read on in this passage. What you're going to find out is David doesn't only have one wife. David doesn't only have two wives. David has seven wives, seven baby mamas, seven lots of dramas, right? The writer of First and Second Samuel, he doesn't come right out and say, hey, having more than one wife is a sin. No, what the writer of Second, First and Second Samuel does is he shows us how David's lust problem and his seven wife, seven baby mama problem leads to pain in his life. Now, the rest of the Bible is really clear. Marriage was created and set up by God, and it is for one man and one woman only for all of life till only death separates them. But what the writer of First and Second Samuel really wants us to see is the consequences of David violating God's designed order, the pain that is in his life. You know, I think maybe you're like me. I often have this image of David. He's like this pure-hearted, great worship leader. And all he wants to do is get his guitar and write another song to sing out to God. But his love life seems to differ, right? According to his love life, David belonged on an episode of Jerry Springer where there's some DNA tests and there's a baby mama who's pretty mad at him and slaps him on live TV. So often we think that David and Bathsheba is an isolated, shocking, never saw that coming event. David had a little slip up. He made a little mistake. But no, David had a root of sin down in his heart. He nourished that root. He let it go down deep. And that root of sin took on the fruit of his relationship with Bathsheba. Do you see that? It's important to see because the same is true for each of us. Sin has roots that eventually bear fruit in our lives. These roots of sin go down into our hearts and they bear fruit. In fact, the Bible is really clear where all of our actions, where all of our attitudes, where all of our lives come from. It comes from our hearts. For example, Proverbs 4 verse 23 says, guard your, what church? heart for out of it flows the wellsprings of life everything in our lives spring from our hearts jesus himself said in matthew 12:34 out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks the same is true with sin sin come the fruit of sin that we see in our lives comes from roots that are down deep in our heart it's just so many times we don't really see that fruit the behavior the decisions the actions until um, we or we don't really realize the roots until we see the fruit coming out in our lives a while back i was talking with a friend of mine who he was very honest with me and just admitted he struggles with road rage Now, he's never actually had that moment where you like pull off on the side of the road and he like tried to beat somebody up. But he said there's been a lot of times he's really thought about it and daydreamed about how awesome that would be. He wanted to. So like someone cuts him off in traffic, he would yell at them from inside his car. He would flip them off. He would be mad the whole rest of the day. He had struggles with these behaviors. Now, he thought that his yelling 
or his middle finger were the problem. But the yelling and the middle finger were merely the fruit of the real problem, the root in his heart. Now, this is so important for us to get it, right? To realize that this is coming from the roots in our hearts. Here's why. Now, when my family and I moved to Council Bluffs, we moved a little bit right outside of the city. We got five and a half acres. And on that land, we have some fruit trees. Um, and we have apple trees. And let's just say for some strange reason, I decided, you know what? I don't really like apples anymore. So what I do is I go to hy V and I buy tons of pears. I just load up all the pears that they have. And then I get every man's best friend, his roll of duct tape. I take my duct tape and I start taping all of those pears onto the apple tree. And I'm like, oh yeah, put that pear there. And then after a while, I'm like, man, that tree is covered with pears. This is so exciting because I want the fruit of pears. And I bet next year that tree is going to produce pears. Now, is that wise? Does that work? All of you are like, no, that's crazy. Of course that wouldn't work. If I want to produce pears, what do I need to do? I need to actually get down in that tree and uproot it, roots and all, get rid of that and plant a brand new tree, a pear tree. I can't produce different fruit unless I first change the roots. And so it is with sin in our hearts. So as I talked with my road rage friend, his original desire was just to stop being mean to people. He's like, you know what? I should be nice to people on the road. I should smile at them. I should wave and wish them a good day when they cut me off in traffic. He was seeing some fruit that he no longer liked in his life, and he wanted to have different fruit in his life. But he began to realize as he connected the dots of this fruit and root aspect of sin, he began to realize, you know what? If I did this in my own strength, I probably could. I could go two, three, maybe even four days without yelling or giving the bird to somebody. I I could do it. But if I invited the Holy Spirit of God into my heart to get in there and uproot that sin pattern, he could be a different man. He could live a transformed life. He began to realize that sin has roots in our hearts, and it's those roots that produce the fruit in our lives. That's the first thing about sin. Sin is bad news that we got to be honest about, and it has roots in our hearts that produce fruit in our lives. Now, go back to David's story, and we're going to look at something else about sin. So after David is chilling on his roof and he sees this beautiful woman named Bathsheba, he sends someone to get her and to use PG language, they commit adultery. Now at the end of verse four, it simply says, then she returned to her house. And if it stopped right there, you think, okay, it was just a one night stand. It happened, but it will all go away in the morning. David can just hide it. David can try to forget about it. He can maybe cover it up using the power that he has as a king. Sure, it's sin and it shouldn't have happened, but at least it can go away. But the rest of the story tells us that's not what happened, is it? Which is where we pick up our second truth about sin, which is this. Sin always takes you further then you want to go. Isn't that true, church? You know it from your own life, right? Sin always takes you further than you want to go. Look at verse 5. And the woman conceived, and she sent and told David, I'm pregnant. 
David thought it was just going to be a one-night stand, but it turned into so much more. Sin took David further than he wanted to go. And this was just the beginning. Look at what happens in verse 6. So David, after getting this news, sent word to Joab, the leader of his army, hey, send me Uriah the Hittite. That's Bathsheba's husband, one of David's mighty men. He's like, hey, send that guy to me. And so Joab sent Uriah to David. David is bringing Uriah back, one of his mighty men who has sworn loyalty to him and fought for him. He pulls him off of the battle lines, hoping he can cover up this whole mess that his sin just created. So Uriah comes back and David and Uriah have like some awkward small talk. Who knows what they really talked about there? And then David goes, hey, Uriah, thanks for your faithful service. Tell you what, just go home and get some quality time with your wife, hoping that he could cover up his sin. But Uriah responds and says, no way. Not while all my buddies are still on the front lines. Not while the ark of God is still in a tent. And so that night, Uriah sleeps right outside the palace gate on the ground. David takes it to another level. The next night, he gets Uriah drunk. And so in the state of drunkenness, he says, Uriah, no, really, thank you. Go home and hang out with your wife. Uriah even still says, no, I can't do that. Not while my buddies are on the front lines. And so yet again, that night, he sleeps right outside the palace gate. David is trying to cover up his sin, but it's not working. His sin keeps pulling him further than he wants to go. So David ends up telling his military leaders. Hey, send Uriah right into the front lines and then strategically isolate him and desert him. And they do that. And not surprisingly, Uriah dies right in the midst of battle, stranded by his comrades and betrayed by his king. It was supposed to just be a one night stand. And now David has a pregnant woman and blood on his hands. It wasn't supposed to be a big deal, but now it is. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. Anyone who is fighting addiction will tell you the same thing. It just began with a night on the weekend trying to just escape the pain, get away, feel a little better, and now you can't go a day without it. Anybody who's ever lost it all to the house, they can tell you the same thing. It starts with just 20 bucks free play and a really tasty buffet, but now they're in debt, they can't pay their bills, and they're selling their laptop just to get the next bet. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. For me, it wasn't drugs or alcohol or gambling. It was what I call the church kid's drug, pornography. And when I was in middle school, I was doing what most middle school kids did, I guess, at least where I grew up. We would go out all summer long and just rollerblade in ditches, on parking lots. We'd jump ramps, build half pipes. We just were having fun as middle school boys. And then one of those summer days, my friend Steven said, hey, guys, come over to my house. We go over to his house and uh, we're hanging out in a room. Steven leaves and he comes back with a big stack of his dad's magazines. And in that moment, as a middle school boy, I saw things my eyes should never see at any age. And I remember, man, in that first moment, it, it, it almost felt like small. It felt innocent. We were just boys, and it was kind of awkward, and we laughed about it, and then we went back outside and jumped some ramps and skated in some ditches. But in that moment, sin gripped me. 
Maybe I gripped it. I'm not really for sure, but it certainly took me further than I ever wanted to go. It took me to dark nights alone in my bedroom with the door closed. It took me to hours spent looking at internet images and videos that my public self claimed to hate. It cost me time and friendships, money, cost me leadership opportunities. And I'll never forget the night when um, our oldest child was a few months old and my wife was leading a Bible study for some girls. And so I took our son home. He fell asleep. I was stressed out. So I went back to the church kids drug. And what began as just a silly afternoon with some buddies of mine, ending up bringing about massive amounts of pain for me, for my wife, for my child, for the people around me, my friends and my family, and it ended up costing me my integrity. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. Sin always costs more than you want to pay. And sin always makes you stay longer than you want to stay. Sin, it's like spaghetti, not waffles. Let me explain. With waffles, you can compartmentalize the syrup, right? Just stay in that little square syrup. Sin's different. It can't be compartmentalized. It, it can't be contained. When you think to yourself, oh, it's just me. It won't hurt anybody else. That's a lie. That's a lie. In 2 Samuel 11, it sure looks like David's sin is lust, right? But lust led to lying, and lying led to drunkenness, and drunkenness led to the abuse of his power, and the abuse of his power led to a dead man and a pregnant woman. David used his power to bring about the death of a man who had sworn loyalty to him and fought for him. So yes, it began with David's lust problem, but that lust problem was like a spaghetti noodle on the plate of his life, and it got all over the place and touched every part of his life, and every part of his life that it touched, it also ruined. Sin always wants to take you further than you want to go. So City Light, hear this as a warning shot this morning. Your sin will, it's not a maybe, your sin will take you further than you want to go. It is not to be taken lightly. It is not to be played with. It is not to be made trivial. It has teeth and claws, and it wants to grab hold of you and tear you apart. Your sin is never content to just ruin your day. It wants to ruin your life. As John Owen, a famous Puritan preacher, once said, be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Sin always takes you further than you want to go. All right. I love you guys, and I told you this was a morning of bad news, right? You're hanging with me. I want to highlight one more aspect of this bad news of sin before we get to the good news, okay? This last aspect that we want to see is this. Really simple. It's just three words. So easy to write it down, but it's so truth, so much power. Here it is. Sin is evil. It's evil. Or to state it even more pointedly, God hates sin. Okay? God hates sin. Go to the end of the chapter, 2 Samuel 11, verse 27. It says, when the morning was over, after, after Bathsheba had cried her tears after the death of her husband, 
When the morning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. And if it ended right there, you think, oh, wow, David, he really did. He got away with it. I mean, what a tragic story. This famous warrior Uriah was killed on the front lines of battle. But David, he has grace to show her wife and he brings her wife in and welcomes her to be part of their family. And they have a child. It's a really sad story, but it's made glad. But look at the last sentence in verse 27. The thing that David had done, what's the next word, church? displeased. The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Literally, that word means it disgusted God. You know that feeling that you get when you see something, maybe on a screen or you see something out in life, and it's just, it's not right. It, it shouldn't be that way. It's, it's wrong. It's vile. Maybe it's wicked. And inside, your, your stomach turns upside down and you get nauseated. That's what this word means here. When God looked on David's sin, he was like, that's disgusting. I can't stand it. I can't be around it. Sin is evil. One of the greatest dangers of sin is when we get away with it. When it goes unnoticed, when it stays off the radar and we think, oh, we'll never get caught. And I, listen, you guys are so ready to send me back to Council Bluffs. I know. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I have to preach the Bible. Okay. So let me just preach the Bible a little bit. All sin, all sin is evil. All sin displeases the Lord. Whether anybody ever finds out about it or someone finds out about it later today, all sin is evil to God. Whether it is small, big, in between, all sin is evil. We might want to think, oh, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a little slip up. It's a mistake that I made. God says it's evil. We might say, oh, well, I'm only human. You can't expect me to be perfect. God says it's evil. We compare our sin to someone else and we say, oh, you know what I did? It probably wasn't right, but I mean, did you see what he did? Did you see what she did? What they did was really bad. What I did, it wasn't that bad. God says it is evil. All sin to God is wrong. It is evil in his eyes and disgust him. So this is the anatomy of sin. I've been there and done that myself and used excuses, used comparison to try to make my sin look smaller. And God's going, it's still evil. This is the anatomy of sin. It has roots that go down into our heart and bear fruit in our lives. It always takes us further than we want to go. And in the eyes of God, it is absolutely evil. So what in the world do we do, church? <laughs> What do we do? How, do? how do we respond to this in the midst of all this anatomy of sin and the bad news that we are sinners? It's not just something out there. It's in us. How do we respond? Is there any good news that we can find in the midst of this bad news? Yes, I think there is. In 2 Samuel chapter 6 and chapter 7, God makes a covenant with David. A covenant is a no matter what promise. And so God told David, he said, hey, David, you will always have a descendant 
on the throne. And God made that promise to David, regardless of what David did or didn't do. It was a covenant that God entered into, and God was going to keep his end of the covenant no matter what. Now, we all know, based on David and Bathsheba and other stuff in David's life, David in no way deserved that promise, did he? No, of course he didn't deserve that promise. David deserved exactly what King Saul, the king before him, got. David deserved to be thrown off the throne, removed to the edges of the life in Israel. He deserved to be removed from the promises of God. But God made him a promise. God made him a covenant, a no matter what commitment. So Bathsheba gives birth. And that child only lives one week. It's actually a really sad story. But then after that, in the midst of their grief and their crying, David and Bathsheba come together again, and Bathsheba bears another son. That next son is named Solomon. And then Solomon takes the throne after David dies. And then after Solomon, he hands the throne off to a guy named Rehoboam, who hands the throne off to a guy named Abijah, who hands it off to a guy named Asa. And it gets passed down to a bunch of guys that you don't really care to know their names. But here's what I want you to see. Where does that throne, where does that lineage eventually end up? With Jesus. It eventually gets to Jesus. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 6, it says it this way, And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah, and Solomon the father of Rehoboam, and on and on the family tree goes, the lineage goes until verse 16, And Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born who is called the Christ. God fulfilled his no matter what commitment. God held up his covenant. Right there in the lineage of Jesus himself is this blight, this dark spot, this sin of all the children that David had. It was through Uriah's wife, through Bathsheba, that Jesus Christ eventually came. So as devilish and destructive and horrific and horrible as David's sin was, it couldn't stop God from fulfilling his no matter what commitment. As evil as David's sin was, God's plans could not be stopped. Here's what this means for you and for me. Get this. Hold on to this. Your sin my sin, our sin can never stop. God's overflowing, passionate, never going to give up, no matter what promise of love. If God can take David's destructive sin and bring something good out of it, he can take your sin. He can take my sin. He can take our addictions, our lies. He can take our evil and even bring good out of it. Get this. You can't sin too much. You can't sin too far. You can't sin too great. Yes, our sin is evil. Our sin is deep, but God's grace goes deeper still. Our hearts are dark, but God's light shines brighter still. And our sin takes us further from God than we would ever want to go, but his grace chases after us, finds us there, and brings us back. No sin that you have ever done or has ever been done to you can keep you from the love of of God that is in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> no sin is too far, too great, or too much. Now, why? Why is it? Just because we can like say, oh, I sinned, I messed up, and go about our days. No. Here's why it's possible. Here's why even your sin that you're holding in your head and you want to take to your grave, here's why it's possible. 
Because Jesus Christ, who never sinned, can you imagine that? Never once sinned, not in the smallest of ways or the greatest ways. Jesus Christ, who never sinned once, what did he do? He became sin for us. Why? So that we, all of us who put our faith in Jesus, if that's you this morning, if you've put your faith in Jesus, Jesus became sin for us. Why? So that we can become the very righteousness of God. We become the very purity of God that we sing about. We become the very righteousness of God because Jesus gave us life for us. So that sin that you're hanging on to, Jesus can forgive you because he died for you. And that pain that came about because someone else sinned against you, Jesus can heal you because he loves you. Would you pray with me? Bow your head and close your eyes. And I want to invite you right now, you can start tuning me out and start tuning in the voice of your heavenly father, what he would say to you. And we've designed this time of our gathering. There's no need to rush through it. We've designed it so that you could have time to interact with God, to do business with him, to hear his voice. So I want to ask you, would you begin talking to God I know this isn't what you want to hear in church, but would you begin talking to him about your sin? Most likely there's something you've done or something that was done to you and you've worked really hard to try to avoid that in your relationship with God. You'll talk to God about most anything else except for that. And here I am this morning inviting you to talk to God about that. And would you just begin being honest with God and telling him that? In the Bible, it's called confession. And you're just confessing your sin to him. You're confessing the sin that was done to you to him. And then as you do that, would you invite him to pour his grace right into that place of your heart? that place that you so often try to avoid, those sins you so often try to forget, would you invite him just to pour his grace and his love right into that place and begin to bring the gift of change and repentance to you, begin to bring the gift of healing to you? There's some of you this morning, as you pray, you walked in and you got things that you've always sworn you're gonna take to your grave. And I ask you this morning, would you release that? Would you let go of that, give it to Jesus, and let Jesus take it to his grave? His response to you, I can promise you this, because of Romans 5, 8, how did God show his love to us? By sending Jesus to die on the cross when? Not, not after we got our lives together, not after we got rid of our sin. No, God shows his love for us in this, that Christ Jesus died for us while we were still sinners. So his response to you, as you confess that to him, as you're honest with him about that, his response is only going to be love. It's going to be grace. It's going to be kindness poured out in that place of your heart. Oh, Father God, we invite you to work in us. I pray that people wouldn't just hear the voice of a guy on the stage, but they would hear your voice in their hearts, speaking personally, speaking intimately, Would you tell them that you love them? Would you tell them that you are committed to them no matter what? 
because of your son, Jesus. They can't run too far. They can't sin too deep. They can't mess up too great. You're committed to them because of Jesus and his perfection. And so, Father, would that inspire change in our lives and invite us to repent and turn from that sin and run to you to know all of your grace, all of your love, all of your kindness. Oh, Father, stir in our hearts and bring us to a place of response. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.